and she had a total of 331 wounds. I think the reason why so many criminals have gone away with murder, like the Zodiac Killer, is solely because there wasn't that many cameras. We have cameras pretty much everywhere. Like, the idea of privacy in today's world is not really existent. Now I just kind of go through this motion of nothing matters, but I view it in a very happy light of like, I wanna take a risk. And you know what? Nothing matters. And at least I can say I tried. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Crime Brought to Life podcast. My name is Ethan. And without further ado, let's jump right in. Thank you for tuning in to Crime Brought to Light. Before we begin, I want to clarify that everything I talk about today is solely my opinion based on the research I've conducted and is 100% alleged. The purpose of Crime Brought to Light is to not only talk about true crime cases that interest me, but to also unsilence those who have been silenced by the media. If you or someone you know has a case that has been swept under the rug, email me at crimebroughttolight at gmail.com. Also, I do this full time so I can give each case my full attention and let me tell you, it is not cheap. If you are a business or brand and want someone to talk about a product or service that you offer, email me at the same email address. And if you're a viewer and want to support me each time I have a sponsorship, please check them out as it helps me. Go ahead and start your cleaning or secure yourself under a soft blanket because we are about to dive headfirst into some pretty dark stuff. I honestly have a lot on my mind this week that I want to talk about. So for today's agenda, we will be talking about five retail and fast food horror stories. And I'm not talking about Karen's either. I'm talking about actual crimes that happened in retail and fast food places. I will also be talking about the two missing women in Kingsport, Tennessee, as well as the lamp story that has gone viral on Reddit. Without further ado, go ahead and grab a blanket or a vacuum cleaner if you plan on cleaning during today's episode. All I can say is buckle up. Number one. On March 12th, 2011, the opening manager of a Lululemon store located in Bethesda, Maryland, went to open the doors when she heard a groaning noise from inside. Walking in, she saw 30-year-old Jaina Murray face down in a pool of blood and 29-year-old Brittany Norwood barely conscious in the bathroom with zip ties on her ankles and wrists. Brittany claimed that as they were leaving the now-closed store, she had left her wallet inside and needed Jaina to unlock it for her. That is when two masked men came inside, unalived Jaina, and attacked Brittany. A little tidbit of information is next to the Lululemon store was an Apple store that was still open during the time of the crime, and workers inside the Apple store actually reported hearing someone groaning and screaming for help. One of the Apple store workers actually claimed that they heard someone shout, quote, God help me, please help me. If you were to hear someone scream that while you're working, you probably would call the police, right? Well, these Apple store employees all chalked it down to just being drama. That's actually what the store manager claimed that he thought it was at the time, was just drama happening at the Lululemon store. So that's very interesting to hear. I'm not sure if it could play into the bystander effect or if it's just because they didn't really care. With that being said, it's believed that Jaina is the one who shouted, God help me, please help me. So they very well could have called police and got Jaina the help that she needed and she might have been still alive to this day. When investigators looked at Jaina's body, they eventually counted how many wounds she had and she had a total of 331 wounds. And the wounds were not from the same weapon either. It's believed that she was attacked by five different weapons during the 
the whole incident. When looking at Brittany based off of how Jana turned out, you'd think that Brittany would also be dead. But Brittany just had very minimal wounds. She had, you know, scratches, some cuts. Police found the entire incident very interesting because in most murder cases or robberies gone wrong, if there's someone that died and there's two people involved, there's usually two dead people, not one who had 331 wounds and then another who just had some scratches and small cuts. That just doesn't happen. Investigators, when they saw the red flags in this case, they began heavily interrogating Brittany and that's when her story started to change and eventually it crumbled. With overwhelming evidence, Brittany was arrested for unaliving Jaina and staging a fake crime. She received life in prison. I posted this video on Instagram on Monday, which is yesterday at the time of recording. And in the video, I said that there was no motive for this crime, but several people commented that there actually was a motive. So I wanna add that into the story. One thing about Brittany is she suffered with kleptomania and was called a kleptomaniac. Basically, the definition of that word is an impulse control disorder that results in an irresistible urge to steal. So you could look at it through a lens of, well, she couldn't help it, and then another lens of, she could have just not stole anything. Basically, she apparently was caught stealing some leggings from the store and apparently Jaina had fired her that same night. And then of course, Brittany claimed that she left her wallet inside and that needed Jaina to help unlock the door because Brittany no longer had a key to unlock the back door. And that's when Brittany unalived Jaina. Now what's crazy is, and I pointed this out in the comments, was how do you go from, oh, I just stole some leggings, I got caught, I got fired, to thinking that it's justified to take someone's life because of that. I don't understand that. I'm not sure if that's like a sign of kleptomania or if it's just because Brittany is a bad person in general. I mean, obviously she took Jaina's life, so she's pretty much up there when it comes to the bad person scale. Overall, it's just very disheartening and it's so sad. I feel terrible for Jaina's friends and family and her loved ones. On the bright side, if you could even argue that there is a bright side in the story, Brittany did receive life in prison, so justice was served. Number two. On July 6, 1997, in Georgetown, Washington, D.C., an individual walked into a Starbucks and as hot and unalived, the entire working staff, the closing manager, 25-year-old Mary Mahoney, 25-year-old Emery Evans, and 18-year-old Aaron Goodrich. Now, one thing about Aaron is he had only been working at the Starbucks for three weeks. All three of them, when they were found the next morning, had several wounds that made it clear that none of them had a chance of survival. Police had no idea if this was an angry customer, but no money or anything of value was stolen. So what could have been the motive? It was also 1997, so no cameras were inside the store. They began interrogating all current and previous employees, but they had nothing. Two years later, in 1999, police arrested Carl Cooper for a murder that occurred in 1996 of a police officer. Investigators found that Carl knew Emery and he confessed to performing the brutal attack on Starbucks employees. Not only did he confess to unaliving all the employees at Starbucks and the crime that happened in 1996 of the police officer, but also another unaliving in 1993 and a series of robberies. What a real charmer. In the year of 2000, he received life in prison, and from what I read, there was no motive for any of these crimes. It's just he was a sick individual. Life before cameras and fast food stores is beyond me, and the fact that so many crimes could have happened and people could have all gotten away with it. Thankfully, in 2023, we have cameras pretty much everywhere. Like, the idea of privacy in today's world is 
not really existent. There's cameras in public, there's cameras on the streets, there's cameras in retail stores, fast food places, hospitals, hotels. There's cameras everywhere, to say the least. And people can use these cameras for good, but also people can use these cameras for bad, like the Bucky's owner's son that had hidden cameras inside of their cabin's bathroom. That's another story for another day, but that's an example as to how cameras can be used for bad. I think the reason why so many criminals have gone away with murder and even serial killers that have still never been found, like the Zodiac Killer, is solely because there wasn't that many cameras or any evidence that pe police could track. Especially because not only do we have cameras everywhere in America, but we also have a personal tracking device called our phones or Apple Watches, AirPods, anything that gets a signal is basically a personal like, hey, this person's right here at this moment. And police can also search people's browsing history. It just goes on and on. So I feel like in the 1900s, I, I always joke that I was born in the wrong century or decade, if you will, and I say that I love just like being disconnected, but at the same time, the 1900s was a very dangerous time because criminals could just take someone's life, not because they have a motive, but just because they wanted to get, to get away with it, see if they could make a crime and, you know, escape police, just like Carl Cooper. I mean, if it wasn't for the attack in 1996, the case of Starbucks would have never been solved, in my opinion. I feel like it would still be an unsolved case to this day. I did also read, which this is great because I feel a lot of corporations don't really care about their workers. I did read that Starbucks did do like an honorary thing for the three victims on their 25 year anniversary since the attack. So that was really nice to see. Let's move on to number three. This is Caleb Fairley who worked at his parents' store. The store's name was Your Kids and Mine and it was located in Pennsylvania. On October 21st, 1973, he was the only one working a shift and was about to close the store when 29-year-old Lisa Mandarock and her 18-month-old daughter entered the store. He eventually realized that they were the only customers inside, so now was the time to commit a disgusting fantasy of his. He locked the front doors and attempted to essay Lisa. When she resisted, he strangled her and then R-worded her now lifeless body. After that, he then unalived her daughter. Lisa's husband knew that she was going to the store, and when she didn't return home a couple hours later, he immediately knew something was wrong and contacted police. When police investigated the store, they found peepholes inside the dressing rooms of that store, and keep in mind, it's a kid's clothing store. So they had dressing rooms that had peepholes that is believed Caleb would look through those. Her body was also later found dumped on a hill. Inside of the store, other than the peepholes, there was nothing really alive or showing that a crime had been committed. There was notes about the place being freshly vacuumed and cleaned, but also it was closing time, so I feel like that wasn't out of the ordinary. One thing they did notice is there was a wet spot on the carpet where they believed that it was her drool, and I'm pretty sure that the DNA of the wet spot on the carpet did match Lisa's DNA. Caleb was arrested and did receive life in prison, thank God that he received life in prison, and the store did close down because who would want to shop at that store after knowing that someone had been brutally murdered as well as her 18-month-old daughter in that store. It was later replaced by an H&R block that actually closed down. I think it was a year ago when they closed down because 
people would come visit the store, especially like uh, crime junkies that would go and be like, oh, I want to see where this crime happened. And they would walk into an H&R block and they'd be like, hi, how can I help you? And they'd be like, oh, no, no, I'm not here for you. I'm here to, you know, go in the building of where a crime was committed. It's not certain if that's the exact reason why they closed, but if I had to guess, that would be why. And I mean, how could you work in a space that you know that you're literally sitting in a spot or even in a room that someone's life and their 18-month-old daughter's life was brutally taken from them? They were 100% innocent. I could not imagine working in a place like that. Also, another fun fact about Caleb Fairley is he's actually still alive to this day despite the crime happening in 1973 which is 50 years ago to this day moving on to number four by the end of april of 1997 paul reed was given the name the fast food killer in february of that year in tennessee he went inside a captain d's and forced 16 year old sarah jackson and 25 year old steve hampton to go into the freezer and lay down he as hot them execution style and took money out of the register A month later, he stopped at a McDonald's right after they closed. When the four employees were walking out, he forced them back inside, and that is where he unalived three of the workers, Andrea Brown, who was 17 years old, Ronald Santiago, who was 27, and Robert Sewell. The fourth worker's name was Jose, and when Paul tried to as-hot him, just like he did the three other workers, his gun jammed, and that is when Paul pulled out a knife and slabbed him 17 times. Paul didn't make sure that Jose was actually dead and he just kind of left him in the restaurant. Surprisingly, I don't know how he did it, but he survived and made a recovery. A month later, Paul Reed was still free and no one had caught him. My suspicions, like I said before, in the 1900s with there being no cameras, or really any phone records, they couldn't figure out who would do such a crime, especially if Paul didn't know any of these workers. So there's no connection of like, oh, maybe the person that unalived Sarah Jackson that was 16 years old could have been her ex-boyfriend or her ex-stepfather, something like that. Like there was no correlation between this. It's totally random. So finding Paul was pretty much impossible. And I believe that if he would have stopped after the McDonald's incident, he would have still be free to this day. A month later, he went to a Baskin Robbins store and kidnapped two of the only workers working that night, drove them to Dunbar Cave State Park, where he cut their throats. Finally, after some evidence was pointed back to Paul, he was arrested and received seven consecutive death sentences, and he passed away in 2013. I really just want to go on the rant of safety in fast food industries. I know some people believe that those aren't real jobs and are just for high schoolers and if that is the case i don't believe that at all but if that is the case shouldn't there be more rules and regulations as to hey we need more people working a night shift instead of two people at a baskin robbins two people what if a group of three bad robbers come in and take over paul reed was only one guy and he was still able to take over both of those girls and that is so disheartening let's move on to number five on november 17 1978 four employees at burger chef in speedway indiana aged from 16 to 20 years old vanished in thin air at around midnight a worker had come in to help the employees close upon entering no one was there Immediately, a missing persons case ensued, but when was the last time an entire restaurant vanished? Putting a pause, the four employees were aged from 16 to 20 years old, and yes, you could argue 20 years old is an adult, but I mean, they can't even drink at that age yet. 
Why are there four employees that are basically kids left alone in a restaurant at night? And it's midnight. Isn't there like labor laws? Maybe not at that time, but like when you're 16, you're not supposed to work past midnight. Because I'm pretty sure even at Chick-fil-A, yeah, God, I worked there. Kill me. And when I worked there, there would be 14-year-olds working and they would have to leave. I think it was by 7 o'clock. And I'm pretty sure the 16-year-olds had to leave by 11 o'clock or even 10, I believe. I'm not too, too sure. Two days later and 20 miles away, hikers stumbled upon all four of the missing workers' bodies that had been dumped. 20-year-old Jane Freet had been slabbed. 17-year-old Ellen Shelton and 16-year-old Daniel Davis had been as hot and 16-year-old Mark Flemons was hit several times with various objects. It has been 45 years since the crime, and it still remains unsolved. And I feel like a majority of you all weren't even alive at the time of this crime, but if you have any information, please ask you call the number 317-899-8510. 21-year-old Layla Santanello, she went missing on June 27th, 2023, which means she's been missing for 161 days at the time of recording this episode. She lived in Kingsport, Tennessee, and that is where she was last seen. A hundred days later, 19-year-old Holland Snap went missing in Kingsport, Tennessee, the same area. And I always, I say a hundred days later because the last time her mom spoke to her was on, on October 5th. And the day that she was technically declared missing or the last time that she was seen by anyone was October 15th. So I just kind of do it in the account of October 5th. So a hundred days later on October 5th, she went missing. So that means that Holland Snap's been missing for 61 days. Both of these girls are from Kingsport, Tennessee, which has a population of like 51,000. So it's relatively a small town. And from what I was reading about the town itself, it's a pretty quiet place to live. Not really like, it's not like Memphis, Tennessee, where crime happens on the daily or anything like that. Another interesting correlation with these two girls is they ran in the same circles, apparently. It is also believed that they could be in danger, so that's another important aspect to make note of. Every time I talk about a missing person's case, people comment, well, how do you know they just didn't run away? And I think that's a very valid question to ask because in some cases, some people just up and leave, especially when they're adults, like a 19 and 21-year-old. With Holland, I interviewed her previous foster mother, and she told me, which you'll see on the interview in next Friday's uh, documentary episode, that Holland, like, she said that there was no way that Holland would have just left without saying anything. Like, no way. She was too close with everyone. It was not like her. Same thing with Layla. Um, A thing I want to mention about Layla is, uh, and I also spoke with her mother, is she has a child, No mom is going to willingly up and leave their child and just ditch him to have their the child's grandmother and their mother to raise them. Like, that's just not what Layla was going to do. Also, um, Layla's mom told me that Layla loved her birthdays. She loved to celebrate her birthday. And since Layla has been missing, she missed her 21st birthday. Needless to say, if you have any information, please contact the Kingsport Police Department at the number of 423-343-9780. More information will be next Friday as we do an in-depth deep dive. The video will also be a lot longer, so if you plan on cleaning or you know, sitting down and watching it, expect to have, I'd say about a 45 to an hour and a half long episode. It's going to be a really good one, though. Ultimately, it's going to be very interesting. There's going to be a lot of information that you can learn and a lot of avenues that you can get yourself involved in all three of these cases. 
The next one, I'm going to be talking about the Reddit lamp story that has honestly blown up on Reddit. Um, and I read it. <laughs> oh, the name Reddit. And I read it. Interesting. I never even knew that. Anyways, I'm just going to read it to you guys because it's very interesting. The title is A Parallel Life slash Awoken by a Lamp. My last semester at a certain college, I was assaulted by a football player for walking where he was trying to drive. Note, he was 325 pounds and I was 120 pounds. While unconscious on the ground, I lived in a different life. I met a wonderful young lady. She made my heart skip and my face red. I pursued her for months and dispatched a few jerk boyfriends before I finally won her over. After two years, we got married and almost immediately she bore me a daughter. I had a great job and my wife didn't have to work outside of the house. When my daughter was two, she, my wife, bore me a son. My son was the joy of my life. I would walk into his room every morning before I left for work and doted on him and my daughter. One day, while sitting on the couch, I noticed that the perspective of the lamp was odd, like inverted. It was still in 3D, but just wrong. It was a square lamp base, red with gold trim on all four legs, and a white square shade. I was transfixed. I couldn't look away from it. I stayed up all night staring at it. The next morning, I didn't go to work. Something was just not right about that lamp. I stopped eating. I left the couch only to use the bathroom at first. Soon I stopped that too. I wasn't eating or drinking. I stared at the lamp for three days before my wife got really worried. She had someone come and try to talk to me. By this time, my cognizance was breaking up and my wife was freaking out. She took the kids to her mother's house just before I had my epiphany. The lamp was not real. The house is not real. My wife, my kids, none of that is real. The last 10 years of my life are not real. The lamp started to grow wider and deeper. It was still inverted dimensions. It took up my entire perspective and all I could see was red. I heard voices, screams, all kind of weird noises and I became aware of pain. A shit ton of pain. The first words I said were, quote, I'm missing my teeth and opened my eyes. I was laying on my back on the sidewalk surrounded by people that I didn't know. Lots were freaking out. I was completely confused. At some point, a cop scooped me up, dragged slash walked me across the sidewalk and grass and threw me face down in the back of a cop car. I was still confused. I was taken to the hospital by the cop. Seems he didn't want to wait for an ambulance to arrive and give CT scans and shit. I went through about three years of horrid depression. I was grieving the loss of my wife and children and dealing with the knowledge that they never existed. I was scared that I was going insane as I would cry myself to sleep hoping I would see her in my dreams. I never have, but sometimes I see my son, usually just a glimpse out of my peripheral vision. He is perpetually five years old and I can never hear what he says. I've had many PMs describing similar experiences and three posters stating such experiences are impossible. I'd say more research needs to be done on brain functions. Pre-med students, don't assume you know everything. That story reading it gave me full body chills. 
I honestly could break this down sentence by sentence and still have things that I need to talk about. Overall, to save you the time, and I'm sure that we're about to hit the 30 minute mark. If not, Ethan, you did a bad job at time budgeting. I often wonder, I recently had a skateboard accident back in August, I believe. Yeah, August. And I fell off of the skateboard wearing no safety protection and somehow I hit my head. I don't remember anything from that day. I have memories, allegedly, that I think are my memories, but also it could just be things that I'm like, I think that happened, but I'm not sure if that was a dream or not. If I could tell you what I thought happened that day was I was going down a hill and it quickly went up and my balance was off kiltered, so I fell backwards and hit my head. I was put in an ambulance because I obviously didn't know where I was or even who I was at that point. I was taken to the hospital had a concussion and I broke my collarbone, if you can see the scar from where they had to do surgery on it. After reading this story, I had a moment where I was like, what if that day, like, what if I'm still experiencing that right now? And the life I'm living right now is 100% a illusion or a dream, if you will. And one day I'm gonna be sitting on the couch and just looking at my lamp and my lamp's going to not look real. That's terrifying. And how crazy, like, I mean, I've seen videos on TikTok and Instagram of people saying, POV, you wake up and you're 13 years old again and it was just a bad dream, meaning your life was a bad dream. And I think about that often. I wonder if, what if this is just a simulation? What if everything is not real and nothing matters right now? And I mean, you can argue in general life, the meaning of life is to love and ultimately nothing matters in life. We live in this moment of life of believing that we are the main characters and maybe I don't feel that way or maybe not everyone feels that way. I personally feel like, and for the longest time, I always believed that like I was the only real person, especially as a kid. Like I had a moment where I was like, I feel like other people are not real people. That, does that make sense? I don't want it to make it sound like I'm a narcissist because I don't think I am. Maybe that meant that I was showing narcissistic traits whenever I was younger. Because now I see people as people, especially talking about true crime stories. I'm able to view people in a different light. Especially with the parents of Holland Snap and Layla Santanello. I walked with their parents while we were doing the Christmas parade in Kingsport, Tennessee. And we were handing out missing persons flyers. And in that moment, they were in front of me and like, I just had a so surreal moment of this is like their reality. They are literally living hell on earth in this moment. And it just broke my heart. But anyways, I used to think that people were not real and like, I was the only real person. Does that make sense? Like, because I'm only conscious of my own body, not the person next to me. So like, who am I to say that like, every time that they're not in my vision, they're even there. I think ultimately nothing in life matters. Now I just kind of go through this motion of nothing matters, but I view it in a very happy light of like, I want to take a risk and you know what? Nothing matters. And at least I can say I tried. For example, with the podcast, whenever I quit my full-time job uh, four months ago, I was scared shitless honestly i was terrified that i was going to be making the wrong decision and there have been days that i'm like i made the wrong decision i would rather work a comfortable nine to five job that i know what i'm going to be making and there's no security in content creation but at the same time i'm like nothing matters at least if this fails and i have to start working at starbucks or some 
you know, job that doesn't require a degree, which I do have a degree, but it's harder to achieve those jobs. It wouldn't matter to me because at least I can say I tried. Like I said, next week's video is going to be longer. We're going to be talking about the murder of TJ Davis that deserves justice and needs justice. I'll be interviewing his mom, as well as interviewing the mothers of the two missing girls from Kingsport, Tennessee, Layla Santanella, who's 21 years old, and 19-year-old Holland Snap. When it comes to my five whatever stories that I'll be doing that week, I probably will just push it to the week, the Friday after, and we'll do a total of 10. Let me know if that sounds good, or if you just want a separate video on that, uh, like another day after Friday. Without further ado, I will see you guys next Friday. Stay safe.